From the second chapter of 1 Peter, these words, for in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friends, the birth of a grandson a few months ago, the birth of another granddaughter in Illinois just a few days ago, the birth of another grandson just a few weeks from now, it's exhausting for us grandparents, isn't it? <laughs> it's exciting. It certainly keeps us on our toes. It's an exciting time for grandparents as we try to keep up with it all and put new names to tiny new faces, faces that carry a wee bit of our look in theirs, perhaps, all that new life and all of that new potential that's there and we wonder about the tremendous potential that's there and it sets one thinking, where do you begin a life with its foundation when these new lives come upon us? What is life's foundation? Where does life's foundation begin? How do you build life's foundation? Do you even build it? Well, you begin where every builder begins. You begin with the foundation. That's where you begin. If you're going to build anything, you begin by building that foundation. You begin with the foundation and its cornerstone. No building is any stronger, someone has wisely said, than its foundation is. And that most certainly is true also of life. But it's certainly true of buildings. You can see the parallel. I've never been to uh, the Tuscany region of Italy, though I'd love to go. And if ever I make it to the Tuscany region of Italy, I'd like to see the leaning tower of Pisa. Completed a little more than 100 years before Luther was born, this 200-year-old building project, a 12-story structure made of marble, began to precariously lean during the very beginning stages of construction. They didn't have any more than three stories up and already the tower was beginning to lean. To lean in good part because it didn't have much of a foundation. That's why after all the place is called Pisa, because it means marshy land. And they were building this leaning tower, this bell tower of this great cathedral next to it on this marshy land and it didn't take more than three stories of it and the thing started to lean. More significantly, the foundation that they built wasn't deep enough at all for it. It was only apparently 10 feet deep. Despite its lean for about six centuries, it was only recently, as late as the 1990s, that scientists and structural engineers became quite concerned that it was to the point where its leaning was further than it could possibly go because it was leaning a little bit more each year. Finally, they determined that by last year, by 2007, if something wasn't corrected, that lean would come to its breaking point where the gravity was going to pull it and the weight would be greater than it would be able to hold. And sure enough, the leaning tower of Pisa would no longer be the leaning tower, but it would be the fallen tower of Pisa. And so they set out to correct it, which they've done. But you think of the tower of Pisa and the way it was built and the foundation upon which it was built. And you compare that to those great cathedrals of Europe over there, whose massive underground structures are sometimes, it seems, as large as the weight of the structure above it, whose visible structure. 
and its height of it is the same as it is going into the ground sometimes. What a difference a foundation makes when you're built upon a, a foundation like that. No building, again, is any stronger than the foundation upon which it's built. And that's certainly true of life. That's what scripture is talking about in our text for this morning. And it causes us to ask ourselves then, upon what is our life built? Upon what is your life built? Well, it's built or it rests upon one of two things. Either the foundation that the world offers you, it's either built upon that, and you know what the world offers you in terms of a foundation, it's promises. Attached to, of course, your achievements in the world, its promises, your achievements working together, your career, your increased wealth, perhaps power and prestige and other such things, your life, does it rest upon that? What the world offers you, what you do? Or does it rest upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his work for you? It's really that simple. It's one or the other. It's either what you do or what he has done for you. That's the issue that's before us today. A lot rests on the foundation of your life. Remember the story that our Lord Jesus told about the two builders? I can't imagine that Peter this morning, in writing the text that he did in our epistle lesson, wrote that text without remembering what the Lord Jesus had told the disciples as they were gathered together about the two builders that build that built the houses that they built. Remember that account that our Lord told, that story? A wise builder, remember, and a foolish one, the implication being that you're going to be one of the two, either the wise builder or the foolish one of which he speaks. And then he talks about that foolish builder. And the interesting Greek word that he uses there, the, the word moro, from which we get the word moron, foolish, moronic, and he says, you know what that moronic builder did, what that foolish builder did? He didn't put any forethought at all into what he was doing when he built his house. He selects a terrible location for his house. Low land near a stream of water. And then to top it all, it was on a sandy spot, not a rock hard spot, but a sandy spot that he was going to build his house. But his greatest folly was that he neglected to dig down deep to get down to that solid rock foundation. You see, over in the hilly regions of Palestine, there's so little wood that they have to build their structures often out of masonry, and so the, the weight of the masonry necessitates that builders dig down 10, 15, 20, even more feet in order to construct a really solid foundation upon which their buildings might be built. Well, the foolish builder, this moro of which Jesus speaks, pays no attention to this requirement. And as long as there were no storms coming, as long as there were no floods, well, his house stood fine, looked great, just like all of the neighbors. Everything looked well. But then let the forces of nature be unleashed. Then see what happens, Jesus says. And Jesus said, the rain did descend. And the floods came, and the winds blew. Then what happened? Then the unstable sand shifted. The flimsy foundation was no match for those forces of nature that came, and the house 
Jesus said, crumbled and the house fell, and great, Jesus says, was the fall of it. And all of the time that had been expended in building it and everything that had been done to accomplish it and build up its walls and its frames and to make it look beautiful inside all in a moment's time, gone. The world encourages us and it trains us indeed from our earliest of years to build our lives upon a sandbag foundation like that. You attain this sandbag over here and you put it in a certain place. It might be your, your career, your education, whatever it might be. The sandbag of popularity placed over here. The sandbag of conformity placed over here. Of relative mor morality over here. The sandbag of civic involvement here. Another one of academia. Another one of career advancement. And of course, there's got to be the one of money over here. And if you get all these sandbags in the right positions and places, so the world says, everything will be fine. And some of those sandbags are indeed fine in and of themselves. Not speaking against those things in our lives, but they are not intended by our Creator to be the foundation of life. And that's the problem when people make these things the foundation of their lives, those things upon which their future is built. That's where the problem is, and you can see it for yourself all around you. How many more blown over homes do you have to see before we, the people in the world recognize what situation really is, what man-made foundations ultimately give us? That they can't stand up against the sin-generated storms that blow against them in this life. Unless the Lord builds the house, Scripture says, he that builds it builds in vain. Isn't it enough that well over 40% of the marriages that were established at the turn of this new century are going to be gone, broken by 2010? Isn't it enough that 67% of those that attempt to do it again are going to fail within the following 10 years? Isn't it enough that 40% of the children being born in the U.S. today are born out of wedlock and we're better off than France where it's 50%? You don't need a litany of depressing statistics to convince you that the man-made foundations that we have in this world simply can't bear up under the weight that our sinful lives press upon them. Those foundations crack and they crumble. They do it under the weight of our sins. And it's all multiplied and magnified when you see it on the grander scale of society, isn't it? Neighborhoods like ours, not far from here, once safe and secure, but a few weeks ago the homes of the neighbors on both sides of us had their screens sliced at the bottoms, apparently to facilitate break-ins. Why not our house? Because not even thieves stay up as late as I do. They skip right over us. Drive-by shootings of completely innocent people during the past couple of weeks, not just a priest in downtown Baghdad, where you'd expect it to happen in a war-torn city and country. There it's understandable to us, but how about the 21-year-old mother that was killed by a stray bullet as she's sleeping in her bed in Oakland? Or how about the drive-by shooting at a home in Nashville, Tennessee, or only a few days ago in one of the nicer rural communities of southern Chicago area, 
or the one of an unprovoked drive-by shooting of a man holding a child in his arms in Miami but a few weeks ago? And how do you explain three drive-by shootings in, of all places, Elkhart, Indiana? Examples of a sin-sickened society because people are building foundations that don't withstand the weight and the burden of sin. And every death that we mourn, be it a family member or a friend, stands as that unimpeachable witness that you just can't place a sandbag down below the door of your house thinking that even that sorrow isn't going to slip in with the flood of tears that eventually comes from having to mourn over the death of a loved one doesn't slip in in our house as well because it will in every one of them. So you see, internationally, nationally, locally, personally, it all comes down and points so clearly to the fact that lives built upon the wrong foundations don't stand a chance against the storms that are generated by sin in our world. And now if our man-made foundations wash out so quickly here in our relationships with one another, you can imagine how they stand before the presence of a, of a holy God. They don't stand at all. If you try to build your relationship with him upon the foundation of your own righteousness, it's foolishness, moronic to be sure. When man comes with his imagined righteousness or tries to build his relationship to God on some foundation of civic goodness, or his own social merits, or his own charitable efforts, or his own career achievements, it's sand. It's all sand. And in the end, this good-looking life of self-righteousness crumbles flat, and it's packed upon all the other layers of his own righteousness that never will stand up before God. Scripture clearly says it. And if anything should convince us, it should be these things of which we've spoken. But scripture so clearly says that no other foundation can be laid than that which has been laid in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way. Jesus says, we heard in today's gospel, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the testimony of the Old Testament as well as the New. What was it that was spoken of Christ by the Old Testament prophet that we heard about. Behold, saith the Lord, I am laying in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a precious stone, a cornerstone. Who was he speaking of? But Christ. So also the prophet Zechariah wrote, From them will come the cornerstone, the peg upon which all things hang, the bow that wins the battle, the ruler of all the world. And of whom do you think that he was speaking? The peg upon which all things hang. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what St. Paul, when he says that, says that in Christ all things hold together, the peg upon which all things hang, the cornerstone, the prophet says, and centuries later, the apostle writes just that, that we're built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, but Christ Jesus himself being that, that cornerstone, that chief cornerstone. Or as the church has sung for well over a thousand years, and we sang but a few moments ago, Christ, thou art the sure foundation, thou the head and cornerstone, chosen of the Lord and precious, binding all the church in one, thou thy Zion's help forever, thou her confidence alone. And Christ indeed is our confidence. Our confidence as we stand before God the Father because by Christ's work on the cross for us, not our work for him, 
but his work for us upon the cross for us. He's put us right with the Father. And when you've been put right with the Father because of the Father's Son, all things become right for you. And you've got that certain, that sure foundation. That's why St. Peter can say because of the work of his Son, we are a holy nation. We're a people belonging now to God. Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone. Notice he does it. We don't build that foundation. I lay, God says, in Zion a cornerstone. And that's what gives us our confidence that he has built for us in Christ what we could never build for ourselves. Now to be sure, the world doesn't see us for who we are as a holy nation, as God's own people, as Peter says. Doesn't see us for who we are any more than it saw Stephen for who he was so long ago, as we heard about in the reading this morning about that first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen. But he was who he was, no matter if the world saw it or not. He saw what he saw, didn't he? And what was it he saw? Behold, he said, I see the heavens opened, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Courageous confession of who Christ is. And Stephen's life, as you well know, was taken because of that confession. But he gave it boldly, knowing what the end result would be. And that's the difference that Christ makes in our lives. That's the confidence that he then gives us. His presence with us through his word and sacrament. Because we see him too. We see him when we come to his holy supper and we leave saying, Behold, mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. We see him through his word and through his sacrament as we live in a world and the world doesn't see us for who we are, but we see him, Christ, for who he is. And the world is increasingly hostile to the message that we bring it, the gospel of Christ and him crucified, a world which, like those who stopped up their ears and rushed together to cast Stephen out of the city and then there outside of the city they stoned him, a world that in our day is just as determined in one way or the other to silence our voices as well. But we take heart because Jesus Christ is present with us. In his word and sacrament, he's present with us. And that gives us, even in our day, that greatest confidence Reminds me of the way that one contemporary author describes it. He tells of his boyhood days when in the fall of the year, he and all of his little friends would gather together out in the streets. And there on the street each afternoon, they'd play a game of football. And there was one dad in the neighborhood who was an old diehard football buff who would sometimes join them. And this dad always played for whatever team appeared to be losing that day. And you know what? As writer says, quote, his appearance in the huddle changed the whole ball game. He was confident and strong, and he had a plan. And the kids were all fired up whenever he'd come, fired by his leadership and bolded by his plan. But most of all, it was his presence, his presence with them that made the difference, and they played that, that game with renewed confidence and determination. Well, friends, doesn't that... In a, certain way tell us also and remind us also of Christ's presence with us and his words we hear it in the sacrament that we receive that he comes to us to join us to join what the to the world appears to be a losing team and then his presence among us changes everything he changes us he 
makes us his own as he does in baptism. He leads us through life and feeds us through life in his holy supper, speaks to us through life and his word, through all of life's ups and downs until well-worn as we may appear at the end of it all, we who are seen by the world to be losers, suddenly by God's grace find ourselves in heaven as winners. Bear that in mind in the days to come, so that whenever those days are hard, as they will be, and whenever living through them has made you grow weary, made you grow tired, you'll remember that your life is really built securely on a certain and a sure foundation. In the words of a Christian at life's end who was exhausted by the struggle, but unbeaten by the struggle, often on the rock I tremble, faint of heart and weak of knee, but that steadfast rock foundation never trembles under me. Christ is our security, and we can be secure in that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.